verse 1, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men and things pertaining to God. In order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, he can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself also is beset with weakness. And because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins as for the people, so also for himself. And no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest, but he who said to him, You are my son today, I have begotten you. Just as he says also in another passage, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. As we look on previous weeks, uh, considering the first of these group of ten verses, we see the uh, revelation in the first verse describing high priest who must be man. Now, as we continue to, to look in those things, we've discussed in weeks past how uh, Christ most certainly fits this bill and how he is indeed a man and that he would show forth the nature of man, but not the sinfulness of man. In that, uh, we see as we are getting a comparison between every high priest and Christ, we then see a contrast as it moves. It's talking about offering this gift and sacrifices uh, for himself and others. We know that Christ does not fit in with these priests who would offer sacrifices for themselves. But what Christ is doing is he is bridging through this appointment as high priest that is given of the Father. He is bridging the gap between man and God. How can he do that? Because the text is very clear. The purpose of the high priest uh, was an appointment so that he, on behalf of men in things pertaining to God, may declare what God has for men. That's very important because if we do not begin with this particular basis, begin with this foundational truth, one, there is no need, therefore, uh, for morality, and there would be no need for salvation because we could not find it anywhere else. In fact, we would not know of salvation. We wouldn't know of atonement if it were not for what God has declared unto men. And indeed, we would be self-serving as we do so naturally in the flesh and according to the wickedness uh, that existed in our lives before Christ has come in and before Christ has taken up residence. And we see the reality of salvation as it is described in the priesthood. It really must begin with this basis of morality that is found only in the Word of God, uh, this basis of righteousness that can only be declared through the Son, Jesus Christ. And what we may miss as we read Hebrews chapter 5 without considering the context of those passages before is that there is no other righteousness to be had except for His. There is no other priesthood that can serve us into eternity like that of Christ. Indeed, the first chapter is devoted in Hebrews to describing the very Christ who is not just mere man, but the Christ who is as well God, who has eternally existed. Now, this is a differing Christ uh, from that in which many would believe in. We must understand that 
uh, with religion, there will be cults and there will be occults and there will be those who profess to believe, yet it will be a false profession. Those who have found no true salvation and we find those who will follow a Jesus. But as we're warned so many times in Scripture, it could possibly be another Jesus, a false Jesus. And so what Hebrews is doing is it's describing for a people of God, because that is uh, the original audience here, and most certainly it is given for us today, and it is still very relevant, very applicable, indeed necessary for every Christian. But the appeal was to those who thought that they had a, a union with the God of heaven, but did not. And it's an appeal based on righteousness that they had not, but that they know that they needed. It's an appeal based on the forgiveness of sin, uh, attached and, and sewn together with the with the blood of bulls and goats and lambs and these animal sacrifices. But what all of this was doing was to foreshadow this final sacrifice, this sufficient sacrifice that is made by this high priest. And it is in this high priest and it is through this high priest that this may be offered. That once and final sacrifice, no need to, to give your animal and think that his blood may atone. Uh, no need to have to go through your herd and find the best because the best has already been offered. The best has already been sacrificed. And as we considered even Abraham, as he would go to offer up his only son, this is exactly the illustration that is being brought forth to uh, show to the world what Christ would do. He would be that Lamb of God caught in the bush. He would be that perfect, without spot, without blemish sacrifice that God alone has prepared before all time. And indeed, that is the basis by which we read chapter 5. We're reminded so many times through Hebrews to go back and to consider this great calling that we have of God, this high calling, this special calling, this unique, um, if you will, calling to serve Christ, to trust in Christ, to rest even in Christ. And as we see all of these things uh, culminating to bring us to this one point in which uh, we'll begin to consider over the next week, we must see that the, the basis, if we are to strip everything down, is that no one may rest in anyone but Christ. The church is called this morning, as we look at this passage, to consider the qualifications of Christ as priest. And not only the qualifications, but the historical documents, the historical evidence, and the spiritual evidence that supports that only Christ has ever served fully in this capacity. Only Christ has fully executed with success all of his duties and responsibilities as priest and as Savior. And if we see that, then indeed we may have life in his name. Indeed, we may have been uh, appointed by God if we know this Christ in such an intimate way and if we trust him in this way. But the truth is that we uh, according to the, the flesh and the nature that we have, the sinful nature as mere man, uh, we will stray from these truths and we will often find ourselves 
further and further from the cross if we are not being fed, which is a great point to consider as we come to partake of communion today. We consider the bread of life who is Christ and we consider this cup of wrath that he has taken down in our stead. The blood which is represented by the cup that is as living water as nourishment to our soul. It is that which is the propitiation that which has atoned for the sin of mankind. And it is on this basis that we believe in the Christ. And it is on this basis that we move in to the text this morning and see the ramifications of a Christ who completely fits the bill and who goes beyond what any other high priest or what any other priest has ever done and enters into that which is uh, the spiritual truths of an eternal God coming in the form of man, taking up upon himself the flesh of man to serve like no other. We look again, building up from what we saw last week. It says Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest. He is already glorified. He must naturally, inherently be the glorified God of the Bible. But he did not do so to become a high priest. But he said to him, and now there's a distinction drawn. And we must see this. And I'll mention it later as we come. There's a distinction here as the Father is speaking about the Son. There is a one God who cannot be separated. But in the sense of this uh, particular portion of Scripture, we see uh, both persons being spoken of here now he is saying you are my son today i have begotten you just as he said also in another passage you are a priest forever according to the order of melchizedek now when we see this moving from one statement to another in verses five and six to consider those quotes from psalm chapter two and chapter 110, we must uh, indeed see that they are speaking about someone particularly. Let's turn to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2, occurring historically in time before Christ has come in the flesh. And what we will see is that there are words proclaimed about him in this particular chapter. As we look at verse 6, it says, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Now remember this, he's calling him king. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possessions. Who would that be speaking of? Who could it speak of? One upon a holy mountain. You are my son. I have begotten you. Ask, and I will surely give. Who 
could this speak of other than the Messiah who was yet to be? Who was in one sense yet to be, but already is and already was because He is God. And for the people of the time, the appeal in Hebrews chapter 5 is to move back and to see because even they knew that this spoke of the Messiah. The problem is, who was this Messiah? We know that today, even many Orthodox Jews do not see the Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah. That is the big issue. What is the appeal to the penman? He's saying in chapter 5 of Hebrews, as we move through verses 5 and 6, he's appealing from the Scriptures as to whom this Messiah must be. Now then we'll turn to chapter 110. Psalm. Again, all of these things being mentioned this morning and forming uh, the basis for which we build upon that which is necessary for us to understand the passage. That's why it's so important to read. That's why it's so important to be familiar with the text. Psalm chapter 110. The Lord... Verse 2, will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. In holy array from the womb of the dawn, your youth are to you as the dew. The Lord has shown and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Your priest forever. Notice this is no ordinary priest and that the text, as we see it quoted in chapter 5, verse 6, is not speaking and it doesn't say a high priest, but it is describing a priest like no other. Why? Because it's describing the priesthood of Melchizedek that is there in Psalm 110. It is a priesthood that is uh, describing a, a man who... Uh, whom we know not too much about, but it says that he is not only a priest, but he is also simultaneously a king. A little different than the high priest, right? That we see described before. The little different than any Levitical priest, anyone from Aaron's line. It's a whole lot different than that because they were no authority or no power such as a kingship over a people. They were not lording over people as well, but indeed they were serving in a particular position. And now we see one here in chapter 5, verse 6, who is not simply the high priest, though it's not that simple to be high priest. But he is not only high priest, but he is a priest forever. Now consider, he says, being those opening Words as we enter verse 6. He says, this is a declaration not of men, not of the penmen uh, who would write these scriptures down for the first time, but this is what God is saying. God the Father, this is what He is declaring about this priest. And what He declares is not false. Uh, it will never uh, not come to fruition. It can never be. Uh, it can never be unfactual. It can never be disproved. And what he says must stand. Why? Because he does not say these things out of ignorance, 
But God is saying these from a standpoint of omniscience, that he knows everything. That in fact, as he says these things that are yet future, because he is describing this priest who is forever and who will be forever, not just now and in the past, but who will continue. He can say it with certainty because he is there already, because he is there in the future, because these things for, for God the Father are not yet to happen, but they are just as history, as if they had already happened. And he is declaring, he says, who would answer back to God with such a, a statement? He says, who would deny his intelligence? Who would deny his omniscience? Who would deny his decree that he is saying this is his son and this is the only begotten. This is the priest that man so desperately needs. As we begin to go further and see what he is saying, it has not just been made known of the Christ here at this point in time in Hebrews, but what the penman was trying to do was to show the people that, yes, you have this profession you said that you trusted in the Christ. Now, let me tell you before we go any further that you have uh, you are starting to slip. You must remember this Christ. You must hold fast to this confession, cling tight to this Messiah. And I'll tell you why, because this is not a new spin on religion, but it has been spoken to your fathers in times past. Indeed, I will quote this from the Psalms. And so he makes the statement. He says also about this Jesus, about this Christ, about this Messiah, that he is a priest forever. I'm not declaring that Christ is this priest forever, says the penman, but God has declared. God has declared. And so what that brings us to in a form in the form of application for the church, it brings us into the reality of lordship salvation that Christ is indeed king. He is priest. He is apostle, high priest. He is son of God. He is sacrifice, lamb of God, son of David. He is Messiah and you don't need to make him those things. But as the penman is stating here, God has already declared Christ to be Savior. God has already declared that He is King. God the Father has already declared that He is Messiah. And man can do nothing to either accept or change it. He must simply submit and admit that this is truth. There is the basis of our confession. We're not relying upon self. We're not saying, you know what? Jesus, you're going to get my vote. There's only one vote needed here. That's the Father, and He has said it is so, and that is the reality. <clears throat> no one at this time would deny that the psalm was referencing the Messiah. Indeed, just as a spoiler, in chapter 7, we'll see this priesthood of Melchizedek being referred to again in chapter 17 uh, verse 17 for it's attested to him you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek for on the one hand there is setting aside a former commandment because of its weakness and usefulness 
uselessness, excuse me, for the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Now, this is what the particular passage that we're looking at is building up to so that we understand the reasons uh, that Christ must be this priest, the evidence that he is the priest, and what he is doing as he is there. The psalm is referring to the Messiah, and so is Hebrews chapter 5. Indeed, it is not simply referring to a, a Messiah who is unknown and unseen, but it is declaring that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Now that we know here in the psalm, we just knew that he was coming, that he is that he shall be, and we're looking for him. But now Hebrews chapter 5 is telling us exactly where to look, exactly who to look through. Before that, you're waiting, you're trusting in God, and now what are you doing? You're waiting for a different thing, and you're trusting in God for a different reason. You're no longer waiting to see the Messiah and trusting that he will come, but you're waiting for the end of this life and trusting in Christ that he will do as he has said. A wonderful thing, a wonderful transition. Even the rabbis, times past, commentators of Jewish descent and orthodox Jewish religion must admit that this was and is a reference to the Messiah. That this is the evidence now we'll consider several things as the passage describes this priest who is according to the order of Melchizedek. He is at the first point, though this is a psalm of David, it is spoken of someone who is better than David, who surpasses David. Now, who could that be? It seems kind of odd, right? Here's one holy man of God. And many would say that you could find none better. You could find not a more righteous man at the time than David. But what was he doing? He was speaking of someone who was to come. Yes, he would be of David's lineage. But most certainly, as David refers to him, he is superior. He calls him from the psalm, Lord. So what are we doing when we go to Hebrews chapter 5? We're saying, look, this is what David was saying. He was the most righteous that you could find during the time period. He was God's man. He had God's heart. God was for him and he was for God. He represented uh, to the best of his ability. Did he sin? Absolutely. Was he less sinful than you and I? In one sense, it seems. Right? Who could say that they have trusted God and followed God as David? But the passage, as it uh, quotes from the psalm, is revealing to us that David was even trusting in one whom he called Lord, whom he called greater than himself. Is this speaking merely of an earthly man? No. It must be speaking of the God-man, Jesus Christ. It could not have been uh, spoken of of God the Father Himself. It is distinguishing Him there, and it is distinguished here because it describes to us one who is speaking about this Christ. It said, He who said. So now we have the picture. David is not speaking of God the Father who will come, and that, that is a, a, a great theological 
discussion that we must have about the triune God, that we are not modalists. We don't think that God comes in one point as the Father and that later He makes Himself the Son and later He reveals Himself as the Spirit, but that He exists eternally, always in three persons. How do we know that? Because uh, the passage is speaking of Lord, one who is superior to David, but it is not speaking of simply one particular person who being the Father, because it says here the father is speaking about the son you are my son it's be he's speaking about someone different this is a savior who is god but who is not the father he is the son he is the uh, of the lineage of david he is in uh, a priest forever according to the order of melchizedek He's distinguishing the persons of God. God himself is even drawing the distinction so that it can be clearly formed for man and it can't be spoken of of someone who is existent during David's time. Again, why do we say that? Because no one can possess these characters, these attributes. No one is serving as the psalm is describing this particular priest. David's not simply speaking of his lineage, though it is true that Christ Jesus must come from David's lines. He's speaking of the Messiah who is coming, yet who already is. Thou, it says, are a priest drawing a distinction between the priesthood that exists from Aaron or Levitical priesthood talking about this Melchizedek. He's never called high priest. He was never referred to as that. Uh, you'll never see the, the joining of the term priest and high in the same sentence as Melchizedek because this was not a position that was for him. In fact, at this time, it was not um, a position that was even uh, referred to in any sense in the passage. Indeed, there was something else being brought forth. There's something else being described in Melchizedek's priesthood. It was a priesthood, and it was an office, if you will, that was. Uh, displayed and now even regarded in Hebrews and in the psalm as one that was an appointment by God. That is the most uh, beneficial understanding of this priesthood, not uh, in what he would do physically and what he would be called to do as a, as a Levitical priest, not this uh, set certain terms that he must follow or this guideline, but the idea is to establish that he must be appointed by God that he must be designated and called to and given for this one particular thing and he cannot do it of himself. We have Melchizedek described as a king and as a priest, but we do not see that he is a king who has used his authority to grab the priesthood. It's exactly what the text has been discussing over the past two weeks. He was not using his earthly power or his 
lineage or any other means or of wealth or anything like that to become a priest. Yet, how did he do this? God called him. God appointed him. God made him holy, called out, righteous. What does Christ do for us as a particularly peculiar priesthood? He calls us out. He makes us holy. He makes us righteous. He appoints us to do certain things for Him both willingly and joyfully. And we must see that. And as we continue, we see that He's not only a priest, but He is a forever priest. Now think about this with the, with the Jewish mindset. You would be thinking, okay, we have a priest and... Uh, you know, his family, they're going to be priests and his sons and sons after him. And if one dies, you know, we're going to have another priest. And now he's saying, hold up, here is a priest who is forever. Here is a different kind of priest. Here is an eternal appointment, if you will. That changes things a lot, right? Changes things a whole lot. It brings us back to that point where we don't have to cast a vote for the priest and we don't have to recognize a priest because he's already recognized of God. Which brings me to another point. If this is a forever appointment, how wonderful is that? Think about what you must do if you're relying on a sinful man who is priest he can only serve so many in a day, right? He can only serve so many with one sacrifice, with one uh, execution of his office. Now with Christ, who is priest, high priest, apostle, Lamb of God, Son of David, Son of God, we have a priest who can serve you here in Anniston, Alabama, as intercessor, as, as propitiation, while at the same time on the opposite end of the globe, he can do the very same thing for a sinner just like you. Try that with a merely earthly priesthood. See if the, the man who calls himself, though it's not the same kind, the man who calls himself a priest at the local Catholic church can do for his people there while simultaneously working for people in Rome or in Africa doesn't work. This is a priesthood that cannot do what Christ can because they simply are not as Christ. We have a priest who is serving every saint who is interceding for every single saint simultaneously there is no other who can do such a thing here's another 
unique thing about this priesthood. It is regarded and it is uh, quoted as coming from the psalm and it is talking about a priest. And we see according to the order of Melchizedek, a priest who is also king. What is wonderful about this? Well, this king, if he is forever, will not relinquish his throne will not be defeated. Do you see the, the purpose and the influence that such a priest has on his people? How, how we can trust God so much because the priest who is Jesus Christ is a forever priest like Melchizedek. That means he's also a forever king. That means he will not lose the battle. That death will not win. That sin cannot defeat those who are part of this kingdom. What a unique representation for God to use uh, for us so that we may understand this is speaking of a king and a priest who is unchangeable his rule and his reign and his sacrifice will never need to be given again will never need to be outdone will never need to be offered twice how can that be? Well, if it's unchangeable, it must be divine. He must be divine. This must be a Christ, a Savior, a priest, a King who is divine, who is God. These are attributes that can only belong to the Most High very interesting way to understand this particular priesthood the most excellent of priesthoods revealed to david revealed to the church revealed to the people today even now the reality is that it is describing a christ who is of heaven a messiah who is from God. A king who has not needed to assert his power to be proclaimed king, but who is inherently, naturally, forever priest, forever king. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful, uh, historically accurate depiction of the priest and king we serve Jesus Christ to know that he is forever. And that's what the priesthood of Melchizedek is describing for us. A Jesus, a Messiah, a priest who is not merely serving in one position, but who is the one holding the entire world in his hands. Think about the song that kids sing. He's got the whole world in his hands. This is the priesthood of Christ. He created all. He has, according to the Father's will and obedience, come unto His people, taken upon Himself flesh, borne their iniquities and their sin and gone to the cross and defeated death, ascended into heaven, interceding even now at this very moment because we have sinned. I have sinned. You have sinned. And now we see that this is not like any priest of the past. Now we see that this is a 
Christ whom we can trust in. This is a Christ who is able to save. This is not uh, some man in a robe at a particular type of church who is just holier than some others, but this is the man robed in his own righteousness who is, in fact, holier than all others. And what is he doing? He's calling and drawing men unto himself. He's calling us from sinfulness. And as he is calling us out of a sinful lifestyle, and he's calling us, he is showing us God. He is declaring the righteousness of God and he is sharing and imputing to us the righteousness of God and no other priest has done that. Maybe he offered a sacrifice, but he had no righteousness to give. Here is one who is ready. Here is one who is able. Here is the Christ of our confession. What must we do knowing that this is not a presidency? This is not a a political office in which if we can just make it through the next couple years that we can serve someone else. The, the, The title really of high priest and then the priest after the order of Melchizedek is describing a king who will forever rule and you must understand you will not escape his rule. You will not escape his judgment. You will not escape his declaration and the truth about those who are covered in his blood. You will not ever come out from under his atonement. You will never sin enough that it no longer covers and that is a wonderful reality twofold if we do not admit and submit to the Jesus who is the Christ he will always rule over us and his judgment will be seen in the end but on the other hand if we are serving this Christ if we are behaving as he has called us to if we are serving our people and his people in the church if we are truly living righteous lives before God for the glory of God to the exaltation of Christ and he has forever saved no other priest and invite you today to read the word for yourself to see the Christ and the priesthood described for us that this is a unique priesthood This is a forever priesthood and this is a necessity for sinful man. We must trust in this Christ, in this Messiah, in this priesthood because God has declared Him as such that we see in verses 5 and 6. God has declared Him in chapter 1. God has declared him in every passage, in every text, and we are called to submit. Let us pray. Father God, as we come before you uh, once again in prayer, Lord, we just ask that uh, we would have your ear, Lord, and that you would have our hearts, Lord, that you would conform us uh, to the image of your Son. God, that you would make us more like Christ each and every day. Lord, that we could love one another as Christ has loved us.
and recognize that that is a, a spiritual feat. It's only accomplished through the cross. Lord, we just pray that Christ would be exalted. Lord, that you would find, uh, that we would find favor with you and that you would find joy in us. Lord, we just thank you uh, for the shed blood of Christ that is for the remission of all sin. Lord, that every sinner who has trusted in Christ, God, we know that he shall be with him in glory. Lord, we thank you for that. And just ask that you would, Lord, continue to sanctify us, Lord, and change us and mold us into uh, the servant that you would have us be, Lord, and as we move in uh, to the time in which we would partake of the communion, Lord, we ask that you would bless that as well, Lord, that each one of us would uh, consider the magnitude and the significance of partaking uh, such a such a holy um some would call sacrament, but such a holy representation of the body and the blood of Christ. Lord, it's a wonderful ordinance that you have instituted, God, and we just ask that you would preserve it and not allow us uh, to bring blemish upon it, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.